so I didn't work on it. And it's it's been only recently that I've actually actively tried to, you know, like uh, for the, the therapy for that is called dialectics, where you, you challenge the negative messages that you received as a child by kind of speaking to that child within you, you know, and challenging the messages of not being good enough or like, you know, um, being stupid or things like that by, by reframing them. So I've been doing that a lot with my writing. And some of it is subtle and some of it is more direct, but a, a lot of the focus of my writing like in the last year, and, and I've, I've talked a lot with, um, you know, Donnie Jackson, who's an amazing uh, poet, but also, he's also a psychologist. You know, I've talked a lot with him about like ways that I can use my writing to, you know, help with that, you know, so that's been really helpful. Today, we talk with Jonathan Humanoid, fellow poet and Definitive Soapbox staff member. He's an L.A.-based writer who has recently appeared in the Fight Evil with Poetry Anthology with Micah Bournet. We chat about the power of writing when it comes to experiencing healing for mental health, as well as finding a beautiful, supportive community within the poetry sphere. We have a very engaging show for you today, so let's get at it. Welcome to The Breathe Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and creativity. We interview artists from all walks of life to discover how faith plays a role in their art and expression, hoping to encourage you to live a life of creativity and faith. And now, your host, poet, writer, and pastor, Derek Ongoy. Yup, yup. Welcome back to the Breathe Faith and Creativity Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Now, before we get into today's show... As usual, if you haven't done so already, please visit our Patreon page and show support for the Breathe podcast. Like most shows, we are listener supported. So I'd really appreciate the love. And for as little as $1 a month, that's right, $1 a month, you along with the greater community can keep this podcast going. And props to our two most recent supporters, Alyssa and BJ, recently joined our Patreon support and are both taking advantage of the tier benefits that come with supporting this show. So head on over as soon as you can to patreon.com forward slash Derek Engoy. Also, we do have Breathe podcast t-shirts available. Uh, you can head to my website, DerekEngoy.us, and check out two of our latest designs to show your support. Um, of course, all these websites and Instagram handles that we're going to mention on the show will be in the show notes. Um, whether you listen to through iTunes or Spotify, you can click the links there. All right. Today, we have a wonderful show for you. We have a fellow poet with us today. Jonathan Humanoid is the third staffer on the Definitive Soapbox team that we've had on this pod. Uh, we've already had Sheila as well as Antonio on the show. And Jonathan is a great human being. He's amazingly sarcastic, <laughs> and his wittiness is humor, uh, humorous, which I, which I love. And man, his poetry is super dope. And so I'm super blessed to consider him family as well, part of the Soapbox team. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on today. What's going on? No, not much. I mean, just really excited to be on the show. Yeah. I just I spent the day preparing myself, <laughs> so that was it. <laughs> yeah, I realized I didn't give you questions beforehand, so how did that preparation look like? Um, it was just basically me just jumping up and down and going, oh my God, I got to be on Derek's <laughs> podcast. Um, which, which, you know, like that was leg day for me. So okay. that yeah, was all, yeah, that was also a thing. Well, that's more than me because I don't <laughs> exercise. So, <laughs> um, well, let's dive into this. So yeah. the pattern has been on our show. Let's start off real basic. And I know it's going to be odd sort of for you specifically because, Right. During our open mics, we don't really have bios for our features. Right. Right. Uh, but this is an, a moment for you to bio yourself. Right. Oh. So so I guess the, the basic question would be, who is Jonathan and what makes you you? <laughs> oh, like, literally, though, my actual poetry bio uh, 
I did like a, a workshop thing with Edwin Bodney and he was like, mm-hmm. no, that you're a professional. Why is that your bio? My bio right now literally is just Jonathan Humanoid writes poetry and is constantly confused. Perfect. So <laughs> I, no, I feel like that really like encapsulates me, you know, in my efforts to be a human being. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time like really contemplating uh, life in general and then writing about it mm-hmm. um, and then occasionally eating and sleeping. Uh, and, and that's, I, you know, most of uh, what makes me me, I guess. Yeah. So how long have you been writing poetry? I mean, I've, I've been writing off and on probably since I was like 18. So what? wait, I can't do math. I'm 36. <laughs> A while. But, okay. but I started writing seriously um, once once I started going to uh, the soapbox more, mm-hmm. you know, um, being finding community, um, I was like, wow, this is a thing that I, I actually can invest in. You know, it's so, like that became more than just like, oh, you know, it's a, a silly thing I, I like to do. Um, you know, so that was like seven years ago. Okay. You know, and ever since then, it's uh, it's just become a thing where I've actively tried to, you know, like make poetry more and more part of my life. Yeah. So a lot of poets I talk to, they say they've, they were introduced to poetry at an early age, like in grade school. Was that kind of your experience too, or is it just something that you found at a later age? <laughs> so, uh, I, 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 there's a memory I have from like third grade okay. where I won this, um, like Halloween haiku contest. And I realized my teacher didn't know anything about poetry because mm. that poem rhymed. And I'm like, yo, that's not how haikus work, <laughs> but I mean, thanks for like giving me a pumpkin, yeah. you know? Um, but it, it really, it wasn't until I would say, um, my first creative writing class uh, in college, like I was, I was a psych major, and I took that because I'm like, I need, you know, I need an art credit. It can't be that difficult. Yeah. And I remember, like, I didn't really take that semester seriously. So at the end of the semester, uh, the teacher emailed me, and she's like, "Hey, you do realize in college you have to drop the class? I, I'm not going to drop you. You haven't been in class for like three weeks. What's mm-hmm. up?" And I was like, "Oh man, I thought I, I thought I was out of the class." She's like, "No, like you're going to fail." but I'm going to give you an ultimatum. I actually liked the stuff you submitted in the, like the first few weeks you actually showed up. Right. If you give me a portfolio of like work you've done, I'll grade you based on the quality of your work. As long as you promise me that you'll take intermediate creative writing. And I was like, Psh, fine, whatever, yeah. you know? And then, you know, I, I took intermediate and the teacher was actually like awful, to be honest. <laughs> he really relied on having tenure. Mm-hmm. He like lived in his van. He, he would like drive down from San Jose and like just, get baked in his van and just do nothing but because like that was like his routine he was like hey have i shown you this guy's this video of she han van cleef at like you know uh doing def jam poetry and every week everyone's like oh man he's shown that like every i was like no you haven't please show it again (laughs) and it it, that was the moment for me i was like oh my god there's like this whole world of poetry i haven't even thought of before yeah and you know it, it it wasn't it was like it was way more than just the you know the robert frost which is fine you know like that's for some people, but yeah. when I realized that like spoken word and slam was a thing, that's when I was like, yo, <laughs> you know? So for me, it wasn't until I was in my like early to mid twenties, okay, you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad I've, I found it, you know, regardless of how, like how old I was when it happened. Yeah. So it was a similar story to me. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been writing poetry for a while now, but I was turned on to spoken word. I don't know if you remember uh, MTV's Unplugged. 
Yeah, yeah. And they had a series of poetry events, and one of the events was hosted by De La Soul. Uh, and I had never heard – I thought they were just going to do a set, but then right. they just started doing you know, this spoken word kind of performance poetry. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. You know, and I fell in love with it, and then they had all these other poets on there. Um, so it was something – and you know, that was more – for me, it was high school, but it was kind of early on for me and such. And so um, do you remember you, – you mentioned the, the Halloween haiku. Do you even remember what that was? Oh my like god! The actual so verse? I, I remember like one line was like, um, like witches on brooms and mummies and two. It was so bad. It had like nothing to do with nature. Uh-huh. And when I actually like when I started getting into poetry like as an adult, and I was like, oh no, there are there's all these nuances of haiku that my teacher did not emphasize yeah. and that's their fault but also <laughs> i was so proud of that stupid poem for the longest yeah, time and yeah. that's, it wasn't not a haiku right <laughs> but it's interesting because unfortunately i don't want to say unfortunately so i don't want to talk down but a lot of haiku now doesn't even cover nature no it's just it let's just stick with the you know with the 17 syllables yeah. and we're good yeah you know? no and yeah i know like um one big uh emphasis in the haiku that a lot of people overlook too is in the same way that like for sonnets, you know, like the last two lines, the couplet is like a turn, Mm -hmm. you know, the haiku has that at the end where there's some resolution, you know, there's something that happens. Like there's an avalanche, but then the, you know, the mountain is like beautiful. Something has to happen. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even care about that. So, yeah. So you mentioned haiku and sonnet. What other format of poetry do you like working with? Um, I, it's only very recently, you know, like I've been trying to, uh, I've been trying to branch out like the last two years. And so I've been really getting into like, uh, I've written a lot of um, Villanelles. Okay. I wrote, I think like two Sistinas. I don't know how good they are. I'm just like, I used the six words. I know that much, right. you know, but I, I think that's where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finding like an appreciation for page poets, right. you know, cause like uh, and- Andrew Carroll is mm-hmm. someone I talk to constantly about like forms whenever I see him. And I, f- I see the difference between just knowing a form mm-hmm. and being a master of it whenever, like, he spits, like, a sonnet. Because you can tell, yeah. you know, someone knows, you know, like, okay, this is what this line does. But then to be able to use it masterfully, there's a difference there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk to us about the writing process for you? Because I know each artist, yeah. each poet is different. How about yeah. for you? What is the writing process um, like? For me, with with more personal pieces, it'll come in, like, waves where I'll first start to get, like, the the emotion for it and then i'll get images for it and it, it, it's like a puzzle for me you know so i, I have those pieces and I, like i know i have an idea of where they're going to go mm-hmm. and then th- that turns into words and so i start that so it starts to be like okay you know this this is like a cloud this is a cloud those go together right um and by the time i actually go to write it it's it's already like connected cognitively enough that when i actually sit down at my computer and type it up it'll take me like 20 to 30 minutes for you know, like a full length, like spoken word piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like editing and whatnot, of course. But like for the pieces that I write where it's not about me, you know, mm-hmm. like if it's a social justice cause, sure. you know, those are more difficult because I'm considerate of how sometimes whether, you know, it's not even intent, not intended, but it can be a focus on the poet. And if like, especially if it's a poet who's not from the group they're talking about, mm-hmm. it can take away from the, you know, the spotlight being on the people that are, you know, like trying to be uplifted. And right. so I, I try to do my best to not make myself a part of the poem, you know, so that it has to be worded very carefully. So that right. takes a lot longer for me. Like I've had pieces where 
I get the idea for it. Like, this is something I really want to talk about. And then like a month later, it's unfortunately still topical. So I'm like, man, like that poem, you know, isn't coming together quick enough. But like those pieces are the ones that I find the most difficult to write, but the most rewarding to mm -hmm. be able to share. Right. You know, so it, it, it depends really like on the the piece. But um, for the most part, it's uh, it's not like as taxing of a process as like uh, other people right. I think have talked to me about. Well, now, what would you say is the biggest challenge for you in writing? Um, I think it's not even the the actual, you know, it's not the idea coming together. It's usually uh, a hesitance in my belief in the like how how the idea is being expressed. Okay, you know, so second guessing myself is usually like the biggest obstacle for right. me. You know, I'll have like four or five different versions of the same poem. You know, like I was saying the, the uh, writing for like a specific cause is usually very difficult for me. And that's usually because I have like 19 versions of right. that same poem. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh man, like this one is just, I, I don't want to get like too, you know, um, focused on like, well, people who are doing this are, you know, bad. So yeah. uh, I overthink a lot and, and that in, in general, but especially with, with poetry, um, you know, that, that ends up being uh, a thing where I have like poems and notebooks where right. I've, I've never actually like shared them. Yeah. So how many notebooks would you say you have collectively? Oh, oh wow. So <laughs> currently I have um, four that I've actually gone through really quickly, like in the last few months. Mm -hmm. Two of them was just because of uh, April right, <laughs> you know, of 30 right. for 30, oh, that, that's right. yeah. you know. And then of, of those, I would say like maybe like just throwing out a random number, like maybe 26% of the poems in them I've actually typed up and like shared, mm -hmm. you know, just because of that. Right. So I know some poets are nuanced. Um, are you one who writes on front and back or just the front side of, of your pages? Um, a lot of what I end up doing is scribbling. So I, I utilize like both sides, okay. you know. Yeah. Um, I think actually for me, uh, you know, I'm like, I, I'm a writer. I deserve a nice notebook. And then I go to write and I'm like, my penmanship is so sloppy. <laughs> like, why am I like, this isn't a thing. This should just be like on my shelf, you know. But yeah. um it's, you know, like I, I actively have notes scribbled on top of each other. I'm mm. like, this is from a short story. This is from a poem. These don't go together. Yeah, Why yeah, are yeah. they on the same page? <laughs> right. Uh, you mentioned social justice. Yeah. And on our inaugural episode, Michael Bernay was on that. And he wrote this anthology, Fight Evil with Poetry, which you're a part of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you talk to me or talk to us about that experience? Talk about your pieces or piece yeah. um, and just kind of unpack that for us. That was um, a really, like, that's been my favorite project so far, yeah. you know, and like, if, if anyone is listening from other projects I've done, like, that's not to minimize <laughs> the other projects I've done, but that's just to emphasize how important, you know, the work that Micah is doing through Fight Able with Poetry, um, you know, and like, I know you've had a list on the show, I'm sure she would like agree with me yeah. too, you know, that's definitely, uh, it's a necessary thing right now, you know, because yeah. like what, what he's doing is he's taking, you know, poetry and he's he's revolutionizing it you know mm -hmm. and um how so though unpack that a little okay, bit okay yeah yeah for, for sure who, who... um so what fighting with poetry is doing it's uh you know like micah talks about how he had this encounter with you know with this guy who came up to him 
you know, and uh, I believe he was wearing like a fight evil with poetry shirt, you know, because it was, it was uh-huh. originally a line from a song he did. Right. And he was like, you can't fight evil with poetry, you know, and it was, it was, just, it was like a, a minimizing of what the, you know, language can do. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, if you look at like, uh, like revolutionary writers, you know, like during like World War II, mm-hmm. you know, like um, Camus, Sartre, like Simone de Beauvoir were right. uh, actively encouraging you know the the french to um not be content with their living situation and so even if they weren't out in the streets you know like fighting directly Mm -hmm. they were inspiring people with the essays they were putting out and that was creating a revolution in the people where they believed they could stand up against the the oppression that they were dealing with and and so i i firmly believe that literature you know poetry writing can inspire people who are capable of making those changes, yeah. you know, whether it's with changing laws and, right. you know, petitioning, it, it is more than just, you know, the, the poem on, on the page. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's thinking about who's going to read that, what they're going to do, how they're going to react to it. And it's also even just at a base level, it's having people who, you know, in their struggle with their identity, like culturally, yeah. you know, se- like their sexual identity, whatever it is, there's so many authors, there's 30 of us in this book yeah. who are all talking about very different things. And so there's something for for anyone who's ever felt alone to be able to look at that and go, I don't feel alone because this person went through yeah. that. Yeah. You know, and, and that to me is like, a, it's a powerful, beautiful thing. So right. it, it it's uh, like on a number of different levels, it's, you know, like down the line going to be something that I think people look back on and it it's going to be seen as like uh, a starting point for something much bigger. Yeah, that's cool. I, when you when you were talking, I was reminded of Jose Rizal in the Philippines. So it's mm. kind of like the same thing, you know, writer, playwright, um, just spoke up against the injustices back in his day. Uh, so I, I'm definitely definitely agreement with you there. Um, can you talk a little bit about your contribution? Yeah, to of the course. Book? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the three pieces that I have in there are uh, they're they're on very different topics, mm-hmm. um, but I think it all kind of like it, it, it relates, you know, it, to each subject, uh, you know. Um, so I have one that is uh, challenging the way the society views suicidality. Uh-huh. You know, that's that's been a, a pattern for me, uh, you know, like we've seen with like Chester Bennington and mm-hmm. Robin Williams, you know, when a celebrity, you know, loses their battle with depression. Yeah. It's something that's like, as a society, we'll be like, oh no, we have to change. We have to like change, you know, the access that people have to therapy. And then like a month later, people are like, oh yeah, never mind. Let's forget about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, so from my own perspective, uh, you know, having dealt with like depression and suicidality for like half of my life, it, it was, it was like, it's been frustrating to see that pattern of people who will, you know, like stigmatize, mm. you know, the things that people deal with. And it's even therapy is still a thing where like, I know, uh, like the, the new generation, that's the thing they joke about, you Mm -hmm. know, it's therapy is a a very, I think they'll talk about what it's done in, in like a a, a very like sarcastic way, you know, and it's, it's still not something people can talk about openly. Um, you know, so I, I wrote this, this poem talking about different experiences I had where I had negative feedback from people Mm -hmm. who were, not understanding about, you know, what the the thought process is and like just how like desperate the the person who's dealing with suicidality gets, mm-hmm. you know. And then I have I have one uh where for me personally it's not to say that like it it's the 
ideal for like all men. But for me, you know, it was, it was just this idea of like, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties now, if I were to have sons, um, there's a lot that like growing up, I'm realizing that was really damaging as far yeah. as like the idea of masculinity, mm-hmm. you know? So I wanted to write a piece just, uh, to kind of challenge that, but, you know, to also like, what would I actually tell, you know, my sons if, if I had to teach them, you know, like how being a man should, yeah. should look, you know? Um, and so I, I tried to challenge different things that for me were problematic growing up uh, as far as messages that I received. Um, you know, and, and that one was, was important to me because it's, there, there's still this, this very, uh, stubborn, you know, kind of backlash against the idea of the difference between healthy masculinity and toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and, and that there even is such a thing as toxic masculinity, yeah. you know, so I wanted to, it, it was a challenge for me because it was the first poem I wrote where it felt like a slam poem, mm. but I didn't want to be like, yo, you can't be right. like that. You know, I wanted to have a healthy version of that, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that, that, that was a really important. And, you know, I've had people where like, uh, that's, that's their favorite poem of like mine in the anthology, you know? And, um, then the, the last one that I have in there is this poem about war in general, but also tying together what's happening in Syria still and what was happening when I wrote it like two years ago mm-hmm. with, um, you know, like this relationship I had with like my first girlfriend uh, being Armenian. You know, that was a thing. Like she was like very political, very mm-hmm. like active in her, um, you know, social justice. And that was one thing that we talked about like quite a bit was the idea that uh, like the Armenian Holocaust was – was not treated in the same way as like the Holocaust happened in Germany, right. you know, and how that erasure can minimize and, and, and all, like what's happened in that country, but also erase, you know, from the history books, how it happened. You know, it was just, the more I thought about it, it was, it was just kind of devastating that like the Armenian Holocaust happened, you know, a hundred years ago. Right. And they ended up, a lot of them ended up in Syria, you know, because they were fleeing Armenia mm-hmm. And Syria now is having a similar, you know, right. uh, like problem with people who are survivors of, of like what's going on there are having trouble finding refugee status. And, you know, it, here was a, a big country that was like resistant to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, it was just, I, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, like reflecting on things that like I'll read about, you know, and, and so like those, those three pieces to me were um, wildly different, yeah. but, um, you know, it's, they're all things that I, I find to be important uh, and things that, you know, to some degree affect me personally, but also are for people who, you know, are, are in that situation right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So when we talked with um, Micah, he, he had mentioned he was intentional about having more women voices in the anthology. So there's 20 out of the 30. Yeah. So you fall within the 10 male voices. Um, what does that say? Um, well, how do you feel about that? I mean, to be one of the select few mm-hmm. male voices within the anthology, what does that say to you and how does that speak to you? And yeah. Um, I, for, to, to, the first thing I'll address is the fact that there are 20 women, you know, like, yeah. and I, I love that, you know, like I'm, I'm friends with a, a good number of the women in the anthology. Mm-hmm. And I think given what I've seen in spaces, it's, it's still a thing that, isn't emphasized, you know, it's yeah. still a thing where, um, there's, there's not a lot, there's a, there's a lack of, uh, removing of barriers, mm-hmm. you know, um, as much focus as there is on like equity and things like that, 
there's still not like, hey, this is, you know, like I know DPL has a night where it's just like women and, and women identifying folks where like if you're if you're a man, you're like, cool, chill, listen. But like, you know, I, I think that's an amazing thing. And that's uh, so like, you know, that and, you know, like what Mike is doing, um, it gives a, a voice to people who might be hesitant to speak up, yeah. you know. Um, so for me, I, I love that idea. And then being one of the, you know, like the, the few, um, male posts that was selected for the anthology, I, I, I re- you know, it really made me like consider that like the messages I wanted to put in were, were going to be challenging, you know, the, the idea of like masculinity, um, you know, because that, that was like kind of a, a theme, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think, uh, there's there's a um, speaker named Jackson Katz who talks about the idea that like uh, if you look at the core of it in our society, if you say that you know like the problems that women deal with shouldn't be up to women to change, you know, since it's uh, the idea of like this dominant like patriarchal, um, you know, a, a, like just foundation that has been there for long enough that it is you know normal. Yeah, it's uh, something I've, I've thought about a lot. Like it should be up to, you know, to we as men to be able to say like, okay, like, you know, this is something that I don't, I don't agree with because it's, unfortunately we have a platform in that we would have more likelihood that people would listen to us if we said something about it than if a woman would, you know? So I I approach the anthology with that in mind. Yeah. It's interesting. We're talking about this because just before this interview, I was speaking with our assistant pastor and she's a woman. And so our church denomination, comes from a background that was actually founded by a woman. And we, so I got to say this carefully. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, forget it. So our recent election for our new president, it was between a woman and a man. Mm -hmm. And everyone was saying, look, um, this particular woman, she's been part of the executive board for a long time. She's the most qualified, yet this male was voted in. Mm. And it, it saddened, and this is nothing against the person voted in. Right. I'm pretty sure he's well qualified. I'm pretty sure he's going to do a great job. But I just think for a lot of us, it kind of saddened us knowing that you had this well qualified woman who can take the role and lead our denomination in a great direction. And even within not just our denomination, but you're still seeing this divide within the Christian sphere where there are a lot of males saying that women should not preach. Women mm. shouldn't be pastors. And what you were saying resonated with me because it's just kind of – now I'm processing how I could use my voice perhaps to you know, empower women, to, to speak well of women, and not just for the sake of doing it. But like our assistant pastor, for instance, I mean she's, she's, she's fire you know, when it comes to leading. You know, In fact, I'm going to be going on vacation a little bit, and so she'll be preaching for the next two weeks. You know, and yeah. so, no, I love that about just in the sense that you mentioned what you just mentioned and in, in using your platform to speak, um, you know, on behalf of women or the empowerment of women, and as poets too, I just think in in addition to that, but across the board, anyone who maybe is considered quote unquote less than right in in the society's eyes or the overall society's eyes we as poets or 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 those who have a voice it's important that we do exercise and use our voice to speak for those and i hate saying use our voice for the voiceless because everyone has a voice yeah right but to to really speak well and to empower others who might not have the chance to yeah no and and i just think the more we do that as a society um bringing people up to the same level if you will yeah 
man, you get this beautiful experience and, and, and expression of humanity, you know, but it, it's part of the healing process, I guess. And, and so speaking of which, um, speaking of healing, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe you can speak to your own writing and how that's therapeutic for you, maybe, uh, that, that, you know, you, you talked about depression, maybe you can get into that as well, how your writing has helped process, yeah. uh, in, in that area. So maybe you can unpack that a little bit, how writing is healing for you. All right. So yeah, I know like for me, uh, I have two uh, diagnoses uh, in the you know the mental health realm. Mm-hmm. I have uh, bipolar, and then I have borderline personality disorder. Okay. You know, I mean that's being reclassified um, more as you know like an attachment based um, you know diagnosis. But for like for people who don't know what that is, it sounds a lot scarier than it is. Sure. But it's essentially just the the basic concept of it is that like. You know, child psychologists will say, like, for a child between the ages of, like, five and seven, all of the core of their identity, who they are, um, how much they believe in their own equity, you know, like, how capable they feel, that is laid out as a foundation for them between those ages. Mm -hmm. So if you have any amount of, like, uh, abuse or neglect or abandonment during those ages, you're going to have, you know, this, like, home that the person is trying to build of themselves on an unstable foundation, right. you know, so later on as an adult with relationships and things like that, no matter how much you work on, you know, what you're going through currently, it's still going to be unsteady and, it, you know, it easily falls apart. So with, with borderline, there's a lot of very, uh, it's, it's, it's different from the, the like the, uh, mood swings of, of bipolar in that they're not, they're not chemical based, they're reaction, they're reactionary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like if, uh, you know, like even in like friendships, relationships like that, if, there's anticipation of like abandonment. Um, there are very strong, you know, emotions like waves that will last for like, you know, hours to a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, of course there's a, there's like a pattern of unstable relationships in that. So for, f- because of how men are expected to be like in relationships, you know, right. it was, it was not something that I really embraced for a long time as a diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't work on it. And, it's it's been only recently that I've actually actively tried to, you know, like uh, for the, the therapy for that is called dialectics, where okay. you, you challenge the negative messages that you received as a child by kind of speaking to that child within you, you know, right. and challenging the messages of not being good enough or like you know um, being stupid or things like that by mm-hmm. by reframing them. So I've been doing that a lot with my writing, okay, and some of it is subtle and some of it is more direct. But a, a lot of the focus of my writing, like in the last year, and and I've I've talked a lot with um, you know Donnie Jackson, who's an amazing mm-hmm. uh, poet, but also he's also a psychologist. Right. You know, I've talked a lot with him about like ways that I can use my writing to, you know, help with that. You know, so that's been really helpful. You know, getting like feedback from him and being able to process through my writing things that I'm I'm going through, and you know, it's uh, it's it's always uh something that I, I work on either with writing or, or meditation. Um, it it can be exhausting, you know, but I'm, uh, I'm grateful that I have, um, outlets, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, like, uh, Alyssa Matuchniak is someone that like, I'll, you know, talk to her a lot yeah. about, uh, stuff that I'm going through and then she'll give me ideas that will come, will become poems, you mm-hmm. know? So, that's cool. you know, I just, I, I love that so many of my, my really close friends are, you know, like 
empathetic people, but also like they're amazing writers. So it's like, yeah. oh, like what if you had, what if you wrote this? Like, here's a challenge for you. Here's, you know, here's a prompt. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant kind of, I will admit it's an exhausting, you know, day to day way of living. Um, but I would say to be completely honest, writing and, and having people in my life who are understanding and support me in that, they are the reason that I'm able to live to the best of my ability, right. you know, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. But it's great you have that community. Yeah, 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 you. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so this, switching gears a little bit, so yeah. this being a podcast about faith and creativity, right. um, do, do you have a particular faith practice growing up or even now? Just kind of, can you unpack that a little bit? For us? Okay. So um, I know I tend to be verbose, so I'll try to be as like concise as this as possible. No, okay, be, be you. <laughs> so growing up, I actually have a, a couple of poems where I've tried to unpack for myself, like the connection I have to the belief that I grew up with. Cause uh-huh. um, my, my mom's adopted father is a pastor or was a pastor. Okay. He did missionary work. That is actually how he adopted all of his kids. Mm. And so for me, it was, it was a huge thing. I remember like we would go to visit my grandpa. Like he, he had a, uh, he he did a lot of work in like Tecate, like on, on he had like a mission mm-hmm. on the Mexican border, um, and he was just like he, he he was revered, but he had this kind of like I wouldn't say like aura of like all things have to be about God, right. but all things had to be about God. Got it? Yeah, it, yeah. you know, especially it was especially emphasized in us, mm-hmm. you know, like because my my mom, you know, like her she and her siblings got that like growing up. Like obviously, but um, for us, we didn't see him as much. So when we did see him, you know, I'd be like, "What are you doing?" You know, and I'm like, "Oh, Grandpa!" Like I, I you know, I'm reading this new book. <laughs> Who's it by? Yeah. Oh no, no, no. We <laughs> n- n- nope. Not, that has magic in it. You know, <laughs> like, oh, Grandpa, I found this new band. They're a Christian band. Okay, only ninety six of the ninety seven <laughs> words are about God. The ninety seventh word. Mm-mm, nope, nope. We're not listening to that. Yeah. You know, so it was just. It was. Um, I wonder if if maybe I had. If I would have gone down a different path, if there hadn't been that pressure, you know, but like for me, my, my teenage rebellion was like, I, I started to read, you know, um, like the teachings of Siddhartha, like uh-huh. I started reading like Buddhist texts, you know, I started reading other religions. I started even mythology, you know, I started mm-hmm. like looking for like connections in them. And I think I ended up, I would, so I would say where I'm at now, I would consider myself a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. But I, I would also consider myself like a, a deeply um, skeptical person. Yeah. So uh-huh. I would say I fall more in the realm of like absurdism, okay. you know? So like if, just for, for people who might not understand, like that was a uh, an early belief system that Albert Camus uh, was really embraced. He, he created it and then he might be the only absurdist writer ever because yeah. of like his own thing. But um, he, he split off from uh, Kierkegaard, who was like, very, he was a theologian, uh-huh. you know, and a philosopher. And like his whole thing was, we can't know if there's a God, so we just have to trust, you know. And so Camus said, well, if we can't know, if there's no actual meaning, why don't we focus on the now? And, you know, so like that, that's the thing for me where I wouldn't say that I don't, I, I, I stopped believing in God, mm-hmm. but I would say that it no longer was a necessary thing for me to be like sure of. Sure. You know, so for me, it's more important to focus on on the moment and the idea of like meaning um, understanding is, is less important for me than asking questions and being present 
And I see what I would consider to be God as as evident in the people around me and, okay. in, in, you know, in poetry and nature. So it's just, it's changed perhaps as far as the limitations that growing up I had on what God had to be as like a concept. Yeah. So what I love, so in the narrative of the Gospels, I, I try to, right, there's the the belief that Jesus was 100%, 100% God, 100% man. And a lot of times when I read the narrative, I focus on the, the human part of, of Jesus. Hmm. Simply because if, especially as a pastor, if I'm going to follow someone, right, I want to look to the humanity side of Jesus as my example. And hmm. so I think about stories where he did a lot of embracing of people whom the greater society rejected, most notably the religious scholars, right? So he was known to embrace women in public, embrace prostitutes in public. Yeah. Um, he was known as a friend of sinners. Um, he even welcomed children as a rabbi, right? That was like, you know, forbidden to welcome children in public. He was touching those who were unclean and welcoming them into his community and saying, hey, let me offer you healing. And so... How I see that translate now. Here comes the the hundred percent God part is in His humanity. Jesus was embracing people so that they can encounter perhaps an expression of God that they couldn't receive because they've been shunned so much, right? Just through the human interaction and, and the encouragement, and so I, through the interactions, people were able to experience God. Um, and, and many times when I write, um, when I strip just everything down to its core, I would say that I experience God through my writing. Hmm. Could you, would you say that's true with you? I know you mentioned you experience God through many different things, yeah. nature, and I think you mentioned poetry. If that's true for you, how specifically do you experience God through writing? Um, for me, uh, it isn't necessarily a, a connection to God um, that I get from my writing, mm -hmm. but I will – I will write out like struggles that I have, um, you know, and uh, I know like, that's something um, like Alyssa and, and Mark Finn and mm -hmm. I talk about a lot is how how our own personal um, interactions with like, you know, the church and our own different upbringings uh, has like really like disconnected us mm -hmm. from the physical church. Yeah. Um, so for me, I write a lot about like the guilt that I have, mm -hmm. you know, because it's it's like it's it's tough you know like i don't know if like uh you have these conversations with your own kids like it's it's tough being you know like it's like having someone who in your family who is a pastor you know there's there can be whether it's like uh intentional or not a very a very strong pressure yeah you know and and that that can lead to you know like a sense of guilt mm -hmm. so I, I have yeah. i have that still you know where i'm like i don't have as strong of a connection, you know, as I'd like. Yeah. And then that becomes a feeling of, I, maybe it's on my, maybe I haven't done enough, you know, so I'll write about that. Like there are times where you know, I have this, this like, I did this, I did this poem actually at, at Soapbox where mm -hmm. I wrote about having a conversation with Nightcrawler, you know, because I'm like, yo, how can you like deal? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yo, like how can you deal with everything that you deal with and still have that like certainty, you know, like, yeah. Because like he's one of my favorite X Men characters because he he has had such a difficult mm -hmm. life he's had humans that are just terrible to him and he's yeah. still like I got you God's here you know I love you God loves you and yeah. I'm like how how are you so positive <laughs> What's wrong with you people are terrible to you you know yeah. it was like it was like and, and in my own way that was um you know that was a way of saying like okay I can't I not that I can't but I can be 
bitter about mm-hmm. you know everything that I've dealt with, and I can use that as a sign for me that like you know no God would let like someone right. you know suffer, or I can use that as as like a you know a means of confirming my humanity, you know, right. and so w- with my writing about my connection with God personally, uh, that's often what I'll do is, you know, I'll write about specifically the struggles. Like um, I've written a few poems where uh, I write about how, you know, like my relationship with, with my grandpa and then, um, you know, like uh, with, with like a lot of like uh, childhood traumas that happened because of my stepdad, like how, how to unpack those things, you know? Cause like I have one poem talking about how I used to pray all the time mm-hmm. and how, at some point, you know, I used to pray for my stepdad and I used to pray for me. And then, uh, I stopped praying, you know, and like what that meant for me and how now, um, I still feel a sense of, of prayer and like community Mm -hmm. and like listening to people's poems. Like I'll hear people read a poem and it's just like, it's, it's a, a spiritual, um, sign for me of, you know, like, in that just, you know, for those like three moments, just like I'm assured, you know, there's something like this has to be a feeling of something greater than myself. And like, for now I'm, I'm content with that. You know, I'm content with these moments where I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like that's, that's a a sign of something that's like, that's greater. It's larger than myself. Um, You know, but I don't like, I don't actively, I don't actually look for those things, you know? You know, you said something earlier and I just want to thank you for reminding me because you're right. I think the fact that I'm a pastor, there is, and maybe not so much now because my kids are so young, but yeah. there is this pressure of having to per- perhaps live up to the standard. And I try to remind myself to be as honest as possible with mm. them, to still have fun with them, right, right. you know, still skate with them yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and apologize when I, when, when it's appropriate, when I yell too much at them or when I just go off the hinges to, to, to really bring myself back down and just say, you know, apologize to them, like I said. Um, but thank you for reminding me because that's something that I need to be consciously aware of as they grow older, you know, because I don't, I mean, this is a, a faith that my wife and I practice. Right. And this is something that, you know, we, we try to teach them, but in no way do we want to force it on yeah. them. Yeah. Right. We want to yeah. give them the choice, um, you know, to, to, to make the decision. Same thing with like anything they want to get involved with. As, as much as I love basketball, and as much as, if anything, I think I'm more indoctrinating them with being a Laker fan than uh, being a believer in okay, Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, but even that, like, as much as I want them to play basketball, I mean, my oldest one just, I know he's not as, as athletic as I want him to be. He actually is getting into writing. And so, Hey, let's, let's, let's find ways to foster that for him and to encourage him to continue that. He actually has his own website. And so, um, you know, my youngest one is the more athletic. And so as okay. we, as we see him grow, how can we invest in what their interests are? But right. again, all that to say, I just want to thank you for, I don't even remember exactly what you said, but it triggered something as a reminder for me, um, to try as much as possible to relieve that pressure yeah, off of my yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. No, I imagine like that's, that's gotta be like a difficult balance to have, yeah. you know, like being their, their father and like faith being, you know, such a, a large part of your life. It's a, it's a very important thing for you. You're going to want that for them. I imagine mm-hmm. that has to be difficult, you know, like as a, as a dad, but also as a pastor to have yeah. to be like, okay, I'm going to guide you. But like it's up to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I balance that with the love. Or the MCU and hey. all the <laughs> So uh, as we kind of wrap things yeah. up, uh, you know, your stage name is right, right. Jonathan Humanoid. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So that came about for, for two very different reasons. Um, the first, I, I've actually had like friends of mine that kind of tease me about how, how like socially awkward I am. Uh-huh. And I remember um, one of my friends 
you know, I was talking with them about how like, I just kind of feel sometimes like I'm emulating human behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, I almost feel like, uh, you know, like it would make so much sense if one day like aliens came and they're like, hey, sorry, we left you on this planet with the humans. Like you don't belong there. Are you going to you know? uh, infiltrate Area 51? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm like, I have this whole like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fantasy uh -huh. where I'm just like one day I'm like, oh, yo, you're an alien. Cool. I, like let's go on adventures. And I find <laughs> out that I'm not even from this planet. It would make sense, you know? Um, so like the, the humanoid part of that, like uh, it, it, it became a thing where, you know, that, that made sense to me. Like a humanoid is like a creature that is like human looking, you know, mm -hmm. it could be like androids, aliens, anything like vampires, anything that looks human, but isn't, isn't human. It's like my uh, attempting, or at least feeling like I'm constantly looking at other people and being like, okay, so that's, that's how an actual human behaves. So I'm going to try to do that. And then winding up in these social situations, I'm like, no, <laughs> uh, that is absolutely not how that person was acting. I just, I look like a freaking weirdo, you know, <laughs> it was a way of embracing that for yeah, me, you know, good. like. Um, it was such a struggle with with feeling, you know, like an outsider for such a long time. You know, like I would find groups where I kind of fit in, but I wouldn't fully embrace them, you know, because of that. Um, mm -hmm. So it was like a way of of coming to terms with that. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm weird, and I'm I'm like I wouldn't want to be, you know, like everybody else. I'm right. me, and I'm like I'm good with that. And then um, using that for the stage was also con like it was considerate of me being mixed race and how mm -hmm. like. My my like my last name is Werner. You know, I'm like two percent German, and so for people to hear that and then see me, they're automatically just in the three minutes they have of me, or like however, like you know, if I'm doing a set like 15 minutes at most, you know, um, they're going to have an expectation of me based on just hearing that. Yeah, and so I wanted to remove that and give them the opportunity if they wanted to to be like, hey, like what's going on? Yeah. Like, ethnically, you're pretty ambiguous. Like, right. like, you know, what's that about? And then like being able to, to talk with them, like having, hearing that like very strong German sound, yeah. uh, like a uh, people would automatically minimize the rest of what I am. Right. Um, and you know, so I wanted to be able to tell my story without there being, uh, already like a bias on the part of the person interpreting me as a person. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, so we've been closing every show with this thing that we call lightning round. You down to play? Oh yeah. That sounds fun. So two choices, you just give me your first response. Right? Ooh, oh, wow. I'm an overthinker, so this is going to be interesting. It's <laughs> like, like Antonio was that way. Marissa, my wife, was that way. So here we go. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Haiku or Sincane? Oh, I don't. I'm going to go haiku because I don't know the other one. <laughs> Italian sonnet or Shakespearean? Shakespearean. Pen or pencil? Pen. Kindle or books? Books. LA or Orange County? Oh, I'm going to like... I live in Orange County, but I'm going to L.A. <laughs> the Ugly Mug or the Poetry Lounge? Poetry Lounge. Day or night? Night. Hot or cold? Cold. Summer or winter? Winter. Mountain or beach? Man. Um, <laughs> back is beach? Human or alien? <laughs> alien. <laughs> Boom. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Lightning round. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for playing. And thank you for joining us uh, today. Uh, really quickly, before we let you go, can you shout out your socials just so for those who might not be familiar with you yeah, yeah. Uh, can follow you on social media and check out your yeah. work? So my Instagram is Jonathan Humanoid. Um, it's like 80% poetry, 20% my cat all the time. So if you're a cat person, you hate poetry. I got yeah. you. If you're a poetry person, like I got you. Yeah. If you like both, I got you. There you go. Um, and that's just regular spelling, Jonathan. 
Yeah, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. Okay, and then humanoid is humanoid. humanoid. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so there you go. Make sure you check them out on social media. And please, please make sure, again, that you rate and review this podcast. Also, again, support this show by going to the Patreon page. And so until next time, be the light, extend your hand in love, and make peace with someone this upcoming week. Stay blessed, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.